Local Radio for Portsmouth. Welcome along to the Coronavirus Special, collating the biggest interviews from the week on Express. It could have been with myself, Mason Jordan, on Breakfast or on any other daytime shows. We'll be hearing later Darren Gamblin's chat with the Deputy Leader of Portsmouth City Council, Steve Pitt. His thoughts heading into lockdown number two. Now, a couple of these interviews have taken place ahead of the announcement officially of the lockdown. MPs voted on Wednesday. They said yes. And now we are once again being asked to stay at home across England. You should only be going outside if you are going to work, if you cannot work from home, if you care for vulnerable people, getting exercise or for essentials. It seems a little bit different this time. We'd like to know your opinions on this lockdown, if it's going to be effective, if you disagree with it, or maybe you think it's something we desperately needed. You can get in touch with us at ExpressFM on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook or you can email us studio at expressfm.com. We will be chatting to Steve Pitt a little bit later on. We'll also hear from Amanda Martin from the National Education Union. Of course, a big difference in this lockdown is to do with schooling and education. We'll chat to her very shortly. First, though, let's go back to when I chatted to Paul Wolf, the CEO of the King's Theatre. Uh, now they, uh, despite uh, going through the first lockdown, the second lockdown is upon them, they are still going ahead with the panto. Now, Paul, you were adamant you were going to make this Pompey panto happen, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. We were determined that whatever happened, we would have a panto. Um, so we set our stall out from the get-go, all the way through the first lockdown, all the way through all the changes, everything, that we were determined to have a panto. So that's what we've done. Yeah. And uh, obviously you've, you've put safety measures in place throughout the theatre. You've been having a couple of shows and, and things happening, albeit maybe slightly differently, but you've been showing films and all all sorts of lovely things happening. Um, and starting to look up uh, for the King's Theatre and the entertainment industry as a whole, and then all of a sudden that announcement at the weekend kind of was a massive spanner in the works, isn't it? Uh, it did, it did. But um, as as we've always been, you know, from the start of all this you know we, we've been ahead of the curve we all got together over the weekend we looked at what we thought would happen we then started making a plan so we had a plan in place ready we just made an assumption that there would be um a month lockdown we didn't know that for sure but we just worked on the premise there'd be a month lockdown and so then we um, reorganized our dates over the weekend sorted out the delivery of the set and the costumes and everything. We got an extra rehearsal in over the weekend uh, for the kids um, and the senior dancers. And we got that organised. And then basically we sat down, worked out the schedule, revised the schedule, um, and we've notified everyone uh, of the new schedule. So we've basically shifted the start date from the 28th of November um, to the 3rd of December, and then we've extended it um, until the 3rd of January, so there's slightly less performances um, because obviously we lost a week. Um, anyone who had booked between the 28th of November when we were open originally to the 3rd will be told today um, by box office and uh, they'll all be offered their money back under the old uh, Wolfie guarantee that's been in place. <laughs> and um, they'll be given a kind of priority window to rebook you know, during the new run. But everyone's been fantastic. The team at the Kings have been brilliant in the last three days getting everything organised. The cast have been great, you know, agreeing the new dates. So, yeah, we're all set to go again. 
Now, down here in Portsmouth, there are a, a few little hotspots and stuff, which is, you know, we're going we're to have that with the university here, and we're, we're a very, uh, very dense city. So um, there are a few hotspots, but the majority of the area is pretty good. Is, is that, you know, maybe a reason for you to continue and be optimistic about this? Well, to be honest, Mason, we've been optimistic, you know, regardless of the figures. You know, our, our purpose, if you like, without getting too grandiose about it, you know, as a, as a theatre in a city like Portsmouth, you know, we're a big part of the cultural delivery in Portsmouth. And Portsmouth loves our traditional panto. And, you know, there's enough misery around. You know, everyone, you know, now can we go and see Grandma and can we do this and can we do that? It's terrible. And we just said, right, we're going to get the panto on. Come hell or high water, we're getting the panto on um, you know, just for the people of Portsmouth. And that's, and that's it, really. Um, it, 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 it's no more or less than that, a determination to get this panto on for the people of Portsmouth. The only reason it won't go on, Mason, is if the government stop us. OK, and, and you, you still got your Wolfie guarantee there, I assume. You've still got the Wolfie guarantee, yep. I've said <laughs> it live all over the place, yep. If, if we can't put it on, um, the government stop us, we'll give you the money back. And it's as simple as that. And I, I just know from everything I'm being told that people want to go out and people want the panto. Um, they're desperate, you know, for this and we'll provide it. I hope people come. I hope people feel secure enough. As you said at the beginning, Mason, we put in place all the safety measures, you know, the, the, the way you come in, the way you walk around the theatre, you know, the, the, the hand sanitising, the cleaning of the theatre. It's all in place. And we've had events before now. Our audiences feel safe. You know, they've very kindly gone on social media and said they feel safe. So I just hope people feel good enough in themselves to come out and join us. It's going to be one big party. Lovely. And I know the, the industry as a whole um, has, has really suffered throughout this pandemic. Um, obviously, there's been pretty much nothing for, for, for a good couple of months at the beginning, wasn't there? Um, but there yeah. has been some, some good news for you. Um, just touched briefly on uh, the, the grant that you've got um, from the Arts Council, yeah. which is brilliant. Well, I've got to say, it, it was a big surprise. I mean, you know, we, we, we did apply for the grant because obviously, you know, we, we felt we should. Um, at the beginning, um, when we put the grant application in, we didn't think we would get the money because we've had two or three successful years, Mason, and we had built up, you know, quite good reserves, which, you know, have seen us in good stead through this difficult time. Um, and, and we didn't think the government would give money to theatres who had the big reserves. Um, then we were told that, in fact, the government slightly changed its policy and was giving money to theatres that could show a sustainable business going forward rather than those that were on the verge of going bankrupt. So, in fact, actually, we then qualified, um, and, and it's been amazing. And, you know, I've just got to thank the Arts Council for, for that because it, it certainly will help us through. I mean, we have eaten away significantly, you know, at, at our cash over this period because we've had little income and, and all the costs of running a theatre. So it, it was fantastic, um, I have to say. So it's a nice safety net, isn't it? Uh, now um, it's, it's been brilliant, yeah. Now, Dick Whittington is the Pompey Panto, starring a, a, an all-local cast, which is absolutely excellent. If people want to uh, purchase tickets with the Wolfie Guarantee, um, where can they go to do that, Paul? Well, they can go to our website, you know, which is uh, the King's Theatre, um, or... 
um, between now and Thursday, they can rock up at the box office, um, which is open. Um, after Thursday, they can certainly, you know, we're, we're keeping the box office open so they can ring. So, you know, during the box office hours, you know, 10 till 4, I think it is going to be. So then they can call in, they can ring and, and, and get it that way, or they can get it online. Um, unfortunately, during the lockdown, we won't have the doors open, um, which I'm sad about, but they can get it you know, either through the website or by calling in the box office and booking that way. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me, and uh, I wish all your uh, listeners well. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon, Paul. Yeah, take care. That is Paul Wolf, the CEO of the King's Theatre, talking about the second lockdown, exactly what they are offering. Uh, of course, a very, very strange time for uh, the entertainment industry. There's been uh, very little support until recently, where there's just all of a sudden this massive, huge amount of money uh, towards the industry through some grants. Um, but, uh, as you know, it's, it's not every venue across the city that's got money from this, uh, from the Arts Council or anything like that. There's only a certain amount of venues that, that could get it across the country, of course. Uh, King's Theatre considered to be one that could sustain their business by getting this fund so it's not wasted money uh, but uh, but again it's it's very tough out there for you know other theatres like New Theatre Royal um, Ferrum Live uh, formerly Fernham Hall and they're of course in a bit of a weird situation at the moment where they're uh, redeveloping their site so a, a very curious position for the entertainment industry uh, people you know down to just independent musicians and stuff or, or actors and uh, everything it, it, it's a very very scary time uh, a lot of people are out of work even though theatres like the king's theatre may be able to sustain their business uh, but the people behind that are still going to be affected no matter what uh, we'd like to hear from you about all these topics we're discussing on the coronavirus special you can tweet us at express fm at any time on facebook as well you can give a search for express fm there or you can email studio at expressfm.com we will ask the questions to the experts uh, if, if you have any concerns heading into this second lockdown if you are a little bit frightened about something if you're wanting to know more information about something if there's anything we can help out with we'll do our very very best to do so uh, so just get in touch with us those ways studio at expressfm.com uh, now earlier this week uh, we spoke to amanda martin now she is from the national educations union who are against schools colleges and universities staying open that's the big difference between last lockdown and this one uh, a very very drastic difference uh, now we, we have to point out that the areas in portsmouth that are affected the most are the areas uh <laughs> like the university of portsmouth and uh, now the university of portsmouth we're actually in one of their buildings and i must say that the the social distancing is, is always being enforced. They've got one-way systems around. I'm not really too sure that the university themselves could do uh, more to keep people safe. There's temperature checks. There is uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. There's signs up everywhere to make sure that people are staying apart and wearing masks and all that stuff. Uh, but there is a certain element that is out of their control, and that's human behaviour. And that is causing uh, the probably the biggest issue. It's in the halls, in the halls of residence and, and, and stuff like that that's, that's causing the bigger problem. Uh, and of course, they don't want to affect people's learning. People are paying a, a lot of money to go to university these days, and they don't want that money to be wasted. And so they, they, they of course, are doing as much learning as possible online. Um, but it's it's not the case that 100% of it can be done online. There's certain practical elements of courses. There's certain practical sort of tests and evaluations and coursework and things that need to be done um 
in in the buildings of the various buildings around the city uh, and also colleges schools uh, are all being asked to stay open i'm not sure if there's physically control for schools to go you know what let's just do it all remotely i'm not sure that is the case we'll have to speak to um uh, gerald vernon jackson maybe the leader of Portsea city council next week about that um because it, it would be very very interesting for schools to kind of refuse and take that extra step to be extra cautious but i, I know a lot of parents are very concerned about the effect on uh, on education now amanda martin from the national educations union you are against in this second lockdown um that that schools and colleges are staying open aren't you yeah well i think we believe by keeping schools and colleges open for the next 28 days is a half measure and we already heard michael gove at the weekend say that there's a potential extension of after the 2nd of december so we think that what should happen is we should have a 28-day lockdown to bring the R rate down because the largest growth is in secondary school pupils. It's gone up 50 times since September. And if you looked at those graphs at the weekend, um, the big spike came in September and October. So we think if you close down schools and colleges now for the 28 days, bring the R rate down, and then when you open up, if you open up secondary schools on a rotor where they are in school for a week and home learning for a week, SAGE have said, and the government haven't told people this, but in the SAGE report it says rotoring secondary schools will have the same suppression on the virus as shutting the whole of the hospitality sector. And I know from the kids in my school and the parents that are, are working, the shutting of the hospitality sector has been catastrophic on employment and, and on people's livelihoods. So if schools can play their part, they absolutely should. And we should be closing for the 28 days, obviously opening to key worker and vulnerable kids. And in that time, making sure test, track and trace is absolutely working and that we get rotors for secondary and in primary schools, we do what we asked the government to do back in June, which is to work with us on a recovery plan where we have smaller classes, more, key, more teachers, more support assistance in using community buildings, libraries, so that if there is an outbreak in school, we're sending less kids home. Because 18% of secondary schools on the last day of half term, before half term, were affected with kids being sent home. So it is affecting kids' education. And it's also affecting the communities and the livelihoods of people. And it's affecting kids taking that transmission back into their households and the staff that work in schools. You mentioned there about affecting children's education. There's uh, a lot of parents, rightfully so, very concerned that uh, having a lockdown and having kids at home for that full 28 days is going to have an, a negative impact on their learning. Uh, we know from last time that, you know, it wasn't necessarily perfect, uh, even when schools were fully back to teaching online or in the classrooms. Uh, how do we battle trying not to get a, a, a negative impact on a child's education if we were to close schools and colleges? Well, I think, you know, the, the government took out of our hands the local element, which is what was happening. And local, if I take courts this week, we've been working really hard to look at blended learning across primary and secondary schools. And I know that's been echoed around the country. But, um, you know, it, it is being affected already. And we have kids coming home my nephew he's in reception and he was told to self-isolate and then another child in the class um had covid so another another two weeks of self-isolating so kids are missing two weeks at a time education on, an, on what i call an ad hoc basis 
so at the last minute they're being told. We asked the government in March to join with us to get a plan. We then asked, we sent them our own recovery plan in June to say we need to work on free school meals, we need to work on getting the technology to kids, we need to work on blended learning, we need to work on using larger spaces. And they have ignored us. And it's catastrophic because it is affecting kids' mental health. Kids going to school and then being sent home a week later for two weeks. They don't have the infection. They don't understand why they can't be in school. Then going back in, then another group of their friends or their brothers or sisters being sent home. There is, there are, there is disruption happening, but it's not happening in a strategic way because we're having to react. So we think if we close... For 28 days, two things it will do. Allow test, track and trace. Allow rotors to go in place. Allow primary schools to be able to develop. You know, schools have done all they can to be COVID-free um, in this time. But we're still having rising cases across the country and it's still affecting kids. But actually, by not closing schools, we're affecting the potential length of the lockdown to be longer, which affects employment, which does affect our own kids, our kids' mental health in schools. How their families are, what their situations are, are sometimes as important as what's going on in the school building. Now, you mentioned that the sort of the local element, there were uh, tiers put in place and different cities all over the UK uh, put into different tiers. Um, I know Scotland's got a slightly different uh, outlook. Wales has got a different one to England as well. Um, but, but with the local element, Portsmouth isn't generally that bad if you look at national statistics. There are, of course, hotspots, uh, those around the most densely packed uh, places in the city, uh, including the university halls and things. Um, is a national lockdown a bit drastic for some areas well it's not my choice this is a government choice so i can't comment on that all i'm saying is if we're being as drastic as having a national lockdown don't do a half measure 28 days vulnerable kids key worker kids in school other kids at home online learning or as we were doing before in those 28 days so we don't have to extend it so kids aren't constantly between now and whenever we get a vaccine or however we get this under control aren't constantly being sent home all of the time we get more rigorous systems in place and it's not just reliable on schools relied on schools to be making sure they've got all the equipment in place i mean we've got some city some you know some schools aren't able to function with the numbers of staff off that are self-isolating we need to get the r rating down the government have decided it's national and it's ludicrous not to have schools in that because we're, what we're doing is we are basically extending that. And I don't know anyone who doesn't want to have hospitality back and opening so that livelihoods can be up and running. And if schools can play a part of that by taking secondary schools to rotor systems where they're all every kid registers every day, some are just at home, some are online, education staff are in school, they're getting in school, they're still seeing their peers, but it's reducing the risk because there's less travelling to school, there's less parents at school gates. All of these things have to be taken into account. Uh, Amanda, thank you very much. I know you're uh, a little bit poorly, uh, so thank you very much for taking the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh yeah, a little bit poorly. <laughs> it's it's not, not not great, but uh, very best wishes to you. Hopefully, hopefully, speedy recovery for you, and thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Cheers, Amanda. 
That is Amanda Martin from the National Education Union. Been on a bit of a media tour this week. You might have seen her on Good Morning Britain or on uh, some national radio stations and TV uh, channels as well. Uh, so big thank you to Amanda for coming on. Very, very busy bee and suffering with COVID at the moment. So uh, best wishes to her. Hopefully a, a very, very speedy recovery, as I, as I said earlier in the week. Um, we will be talking to Steve Pitt very shortly, the deputy leader of Portsmouth City Council. Darren caught up with him earlier this week to find out how the council are approaching this. We'll speak to him next. 93.7 Express FM. As we head into a second lockdown, here's three things to remember. You got through the first one. You can get through this one. Keep talking to loved ones and check on each other. This won't last forever. We will get through this together. If you're struggling, speak up. There is always someone willing to listen and help. For more information, you can visit our website, expressfm.com forward slash wellbeing Portsmouth. And remember, we're all in this together. 93.7 Express FM. Welcome along to the coronavirus special. Once again, we are back bringing you all the information that you need regarding COVID-19, its impact on the Great Waterfront City. And of course, finding out what exactly is happening, whether it be this lockdown that's been sprung upon us, uh, whether it be services that are available. We'll be chatting to businesses, to charities and city leaders over the next coming weeks to get all the information you need. Now, if you're listening to this on Sunday, the 8th of November, hello, hope you're doing all right. It's good to have you with me this evening. Uh, but also, we are available as a podcast. If you're listening right now, you've missed what's happened already, uh, just hop over to the website, expressfm.com forward slash podcasts, and you can download us there. And we'll also play these interviews out regularly throughout the week. We are collating the interviews that have been from the week just gone. These interviews have taken place mostly before lockdown came into play. Uh, we uh, knew it was coming. It was rumoured in the press, but we weren't definitely certain. Now, with a second lockdown approaching, we thought it was very, very apt to talk to the city leaders. And Darren Gamblin took uh, a phone call from Deputy Leader Steve Pitt. Let's just talk about the last eight months and, and the council. Cause it's, been, it's been a while since I've, I've had a chance to talk to you. Um, yeah. How's it been, obviously, from, from lockdown one to where we are now? How's it been for the council, Steve? Uh, well, I think like everyone else in the world, uh, Darren, it's been a real roller coaster ride. Um, you know, we've had to continually adapt and make changes, um, but I think overall we've we've done a. I'm, I think we've done a pretty good job. You know, we, we've worked closely with the Hive to make sure that we were getting uh, the food banks resourced, making sure that people could get food parcels in yes. lockdown one. Um, something we'll do again in lockdown two for all those people who don't have anyone else to help and support them. Uh, same with the pharmacy delivery. So, you know, it's really, really important that we keep all the vulnerable people in our community as safe as we possibly can. That's been our focus throughout. Obviously, the challenges government makes lots and lots of announcements and then doesn't give us the information of what they actually mean so we're still waiting on clarity on some of the stuff that was announced on saturday uh, and that's frustrating because obviously the public expect us to know straight away but yeah. we genuinely find out when they do so you know it puts a lot of pressure on people having to have to make those adaptations but it's the same for everyone it's the same for businesses it's the same for workers not knowing if they're you know if they're shielding or if they're furloughed or if they're they're supposed to be just being extra cautious and i think we're we all know that you know there's so been so many changes to all the rules that it gets very confusing for people at times. So it's been difficult, but you know we've kept we've kept going, and I think overall the city's still done pretty well. 
There was there was lots of uh, things that the, the city stepped up to, Stephen, and I'd like to sort of praise you for for all the involvement that you've done. You mentioned there about the food banks, your involvement with, with Hive, and also this extraordinary decision made by the government about school dinners. How was the council's reaction to that decision? Well, I think we genuinely thought that having made the decision that they made in the summer, at the last minute they would probably agree that they would do it. So we were actually taken slightly by surprise when they didn't. Mm. Um, but obviously that left us really short of time to, well, impo- an impossibly short of time to do anything for half term. Um, I think some of the authorities around the country had sort of get, uh, taken a different view and guessed that, that it might get turned down and therefore managed to get some vouchers out. But I have to say, again, look at the way that this local community responds last week mm. you know so many p- p- uh, private people businesses you know one of our councillors i think he delivered the equivalent of over a thousand lunches that he put together and had wow. donations for uh councillor Udi is one of the independent councillors uh on the on the council of the progressive uh, ports of people's party um she was running this uh organization through facebook so that people were making lunches for each other loads of businesses stepped up to do support it was just phenomenal and that's what our community does mm. it sticks together and it helps people and you know we've made sure that we've got the voucher system in place for christmas so that every uh per- child who's entitled to a free school meal is going to get a voucher um so that uh, people aren't going hungry over the christmas period it's really important that we do that do you know what you, you, you touched the nail on the head and i know you and i have spoken about this so many times and we're both sort of like yeah big cyber hug to everybody out there um but there was also you know james alderson you know the, the, he calls himself a comedian we both know different <laughs> but he, oh, i've known james such a long time he's <laughs> one of his earliest gigs at my, my old place he did it at sellers yeah he's a, he's a top lad but i saw how he's his, his audience were reacting and he was going to uh, supermarkets with the money that they donated there's so many amazing stories that have, that have come out about this you know and what's happened over the last eight months um so you, you mentioned there about you know putting make sure that the food is all on the table and stuff like this budget wise how how has covid affected the council steve and you know can you i know you're reacting to what could be in, in place tomorrow and we'll all find out as we go along but budget wise how is it going to affect the council well, it's interesting, Darren, because it changes every five minutes. Yeah. Um, up, up until Friday, we were looking at a, a gap at the end of the year somewhere between about seven and ten million pounds on what we'd originally forecast, which is obviously still pretty serious. Mm. But because the council's always been fairly prudent with uh, with how we've uh, ma- managed our money over the years, uh, we, we could just about deal with that. Yeah. Um, you know, we still believe that government should keep the promise that they made right at the beginning, which was to make sure that councils didn't dip out. But, you know, we, we are where we are. So we were kind of OK with that. What we don't now know is if there'll be any more support coming or whether the money that we have got is expected to see us through lockdown two and the rest of the winter. So it is a bit fluid. So at the moment, we're looking at somewhere between sort of seven to ten, seven to eleven, twelve million pounds. And it does change a lot. At one point, we were, you know, 30 odd million down on the, on the cool. year, but the government has put in some amounts of money but there's so much uncertainty for local councils across the whole country right now um, and we obviously don't know what extra pressures the winter's going to bring and how much we'll have to stand up but we've been absolutely determined all the way through we will spend what we need to spend to keep our community safe and then we'll deal with the consequences of it afterwards there was i've seen some things on on, on social media which sometimes you, know, you just you just want to beat people's heads with a wall brick let's be honest um and i know, <laughs> well, I I know I we, say yeah. that but if you 
you, if you did, I'm not going to argue with you. No, no, you just give me the nod. I know where we're coming from. But um, if you look at the, the poverty in the city, how big a problem is the, pov- nat- you know, the poverty in this city, Steve? It's a massive problem, Darren, to be honest, and it's getting bigger all the time. You know, I've, I've, you know somebody contacted me last week, and he's, a, he's an old, very old friend of mine and a great chap, and he was talking about doing a collection to get Christmas presents for children in vulnerable families and children yeah. on very low incomes for Christmas. And I said, well, the problem is you'll need a lot of them, and how do you choose who gets them? And he said, what's well, a lot? And he was really shocked when I said that there's over 7,000 kids in this city who are entitled oh. to free school meals. You know, that's a quarter of all the children in school. That's massive. And when furlough does eventually end, it's going to go up. So poverty is an enormous issue. And it's not just down to COVID. It's it's generational. You know, we've got Mm. some of the most deprived wards in the country outside London here in Portsmouth. And we're desperate to try and do something about it, which is why yesterday at the Cabinet we uh, launched an anti-poverty strategy. And we've got additional funds that we're putting in to try and resource uh, supporting some of those families. You know, we're not going to solve it overnight, Austerity, and you know, all all parties are, uh, have got a uh, skin in that game. Mm. You know, late Labour's budget when they were uh, standing for re-election in 2010 was even worse than the one that the coalition brought in, and then the coalition made more cuts. So, so let's forget the mudslinging. Everyone's responsible to some extent for for that. Um, and and you know, there's arguments over whether it was necessary or not. But the reality is, it happened, and that we are now in a situation where. You know, poverty is a is a huge issue, and that we are desperately trying to attack it from all angles. For it, whether it's homeless, you know, we got an extra four point six million in this week, which will support our homeless community over the next three years. Yeah. Uh, on top of the one point six we'd already brought in, sixth highest award in the country, you know. So hats off to the officers and that team who do so much to to genuinely care for and look after those vulnerable people. But you know, it's not just about homeless people. There's a lot of people living really on the poverty line out there. So we're looking at things around getting laptops out to kids so that they're not digitally disadvantaged if they've got to be at home um, through to you know making sure that we're giving people debt counselling maximising the amount of benefits they're getting in there's a huge amount of work going on mm. and that that led by Mark Sage at the council, who's, you know, a guru for all these things, and he presented to the Cabinet yesterday, and he does a phenomenal job working across the city with all the voluntary sector as well, and that the hive's been a key part of that. But let's not pretend that it's a quick fix, because it isn't, and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, let, let alone put aside the, 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 the rows on the, uh, on the car parking down south to seafront. It's, yeah. been, it's been nice to see every party come together and, and sort of look at the community and say, how can we move forward? So looking into tomorrow, I know you, you mentioned there before about playing it by ear, but, but what things can you put in place already, Steve, to, you know, so that people um, aren't disadvantaged? So what we, I've always thought, it's always been my view, that early intervention work is the most important stuff. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, why wait until somebody needs to uh, have their children taken in by social care because they just can't cope anymore? Why wait until people are about to get evicted from their property? The earlier we intervene, it's and that's actually, it's just common sense. If you can do something at, at, at one end of the spectrum, which is relatively low cost, to try and stop a family from falling apart or falling into, you know, the poverty 
trap and, and ending up in a really grim situation. It's much, much, much more cost-effective to help them then, mm. and the positive outcomes for their mental health and well-being are so much stronger. Why would you let them get into a situation where you're having to do emergency housing, which costs a fortune? You know, you're having to uh, look after children uh, at huge expense. All of None of it makes any sense, and I've always felt that intervening at the earliest stages to help vulnerable people is what's key. So that's what we all need to be doing, yeah. and that means that it doesn't matter what party you're in, you need to be alive to what's going on in your community and looking out for where we can catch those people before they hit the ground and say, right, okay, how can we help you? And that's the main focus about what we're trying to do, because it's not about... It's not about looking after people and taking away their power. They need to be empowered to help themselves, and that's really the core of what we're trying to, trying to do here is making sure that we're giving people the tools and mechanisms to be able to help themselves because people doing that, that's, that's better for their mental health and their sense of self-worth and, and well-being. One of the biggest uh, problems that people are talking about now, and rightly so, that it's got the, the correct amount of awareness, is, is, is mental health. Um, Absolutely. Now, we all know it's massively under-subsidised. It's, it's, you know, really, really struggling for support. What, what are you doing, mate, to make sure that, you know, that, that the people in, in our community are, are being looked after? Mental health is a massive issue, Darren. It's only going to get uh, much worse as well. You know, my... I had a message from my godson's uh, mum last week to say that th- uh, three of his mates had taken their lives. Oh. Um, and he's a teenager, you know. I just, yeah. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, you know, I was really shocked when I got that text through, but it, it kind of just puts everything in focus. Um, and actually what we could... It's, it's not just about, you know, specialist counselling, etc. It's trying to stop those people being put in situations where their mental health is under such strain in the first place. Mm. It's, it, again, it's not something we're going to solve easily because lockdown is having, uh, and the whole pandemic is having a really serious and negative impact on people's health and mental health across the piece. So we we do need to be supporting that. But it comes back to that early intervention stuff, you know, trying to be aware of when those problems are actually arising and making yeah. sure that people have got somebody to talk to. But from a community perspective, it's about being good neighbours, you know, t- t- giving giving people somebody to talk to and offer, offering that bit of help and advice and support and, you know, Doing a small thing to help a vulnerable family can make an enormous difference. Um, and, and just keeping a bit of joy in the world. I think one of the things we need to do is stop being quite so angry with each other all the time. <laughs> let's just, you know, let, let's just be patient and be kind to each other. And it, I know it sounds tr- a trite thing to say, but it makes an enormous difference. Mm. So we, we do need to get more resource out there. I'm particularly worried about teenagers at the moment and that is something that we you know we need to be addressing there's not enough support out there for them um, and, and we need to be uh, you know look, looking at that and, and seeing where we can get extra help in what do you think the 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 public's perception of the students is at the moment steve I think, you know, there's an obvious link that people make because uh, between the universities coming back and the virus rates going up. It's, it, you can't avoid avoid that. It's, it's just a fact. But, you know, I, I would be very loath to single out and, and talk about uh, this, this city in isolation because the government gave an instruction that all universities should go back. Yeah. So it's a national thing. Yeah. So when you're in that situation, what can you do? You, you have to, you know, roll with that and, uh, and and do the best you can. I've been, I've toured around the university buildings. They invited me to go and go, go around and have a look. And they are as COVID safe as any other premises I've visited in the, in this town. Mm. They have hand sanitizers everywhere. Everyone told to wear masks. They scan in and out of the, of a lot of the university buildings so that everybody knows who's been where. And they're doing a lot. But obviously, when you've got 
got a lot of young people out in the community, uh, and that's not just about students, it's about all young people in yeah. the community. It, you know, it, it's difficult because they are going to go out and have fun and socialise and stuff, and that's, that's one of the reasons we're in lockdown. But it's not about students, it's about young people generally. Uh, and we know from the way that the infection rate's going that it's, a, it's across the younger community in the city, not, not just the student fraternity. But, you know, look at how the university put in asymptomatic testing, how they put in the uh, the testing site at the Elgin building, which is available for the community, not just the students. Mm. They've, they've done what they can and in, in a situation where they were instructed to go back um so yes it's difficult yes the students um are obviously part of the the uh, the rise and yes some people are cross about that but the government made a decision and our universities like all of the others and they've been operating doing the best they can in that situation and i know that they do take breaches of the rules incredibly seriously so i get people's frustration with it but it is the hand we've been dealt same as schools going back that's what the government's told us to do so you know we we don't we live in a world where Portsmouth is the independent republic of Portsmouth. <laughs> uh, we, we, we're part of uh, we're part of a country, and therefore we need to act together, uh, whether we agree with things or not. So I think the university's done all they can, and I think the vast majority of students. I, I, I know how many students were cross with that rave that happened. You know, there was yeah. as many students cross about that as they were as there were like, local people who were cross about it. So I, I think that's that's important to remember as well that it's always the bad bits you see and not the good practice that's going on, and that doesn't matter what part of the community is it that's always the case there's good and bad everywhere you know, I mean, I'll, I'll vouch for what you said about the Elden building and the Portsmouth University because there's hand sanitizers everywhere. Um, it's it's completely one way systems everywhere. That yep. As much as they can possibly do to make the university safe, it is safe yep. for everybody. That's the main thing. Um, yep. And as regards to the people, uh, people's uh, Republic of Portsmouth, I can see a lot of mm-hmm. people actually getting sores now and and, and <laughs> chopping down hills you roundabout and all the motorways to come in, Steve. Um, I've had I've seen suggestions that we should have patrols on Portsmouth. Roundabout before. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are a little bit parochial down here, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, it is, that's where the community feel comes from. Which is one of my last questions, Steve, if, if I can ask you this one, my friend. Um, what, you know, taking uh, coronavirus into account and, and also the pandemic and all the rest of it that's happened, some of the highlights over the, the last 10 in a months for you, Steve, what would you, what would you point out? Oh, there's been, actually the, the great. I think my mental health's intact because there've been so many, um, and that's the uh, you know the, as I get, going back to the way the communities come together to support vulnerable people and do some amazing things uh, from you know businesses cooking meals and donating them to the hive to all the food parcels that yeah. we've had people donating to the food bank. That's been amazing. Uh, the work that uh, Portsmouth Creates has done with the We Create Market, which sadly won't happen this weekend now, but at, um, you know that would have taken place at Debenhams, but yeah. You know, the huge amount of traders that have done so well there, all those people who have been struggling, the uh, We Believe uh, exhibition that they did, which is a sort of public art gallery around the city, that was phenomenal as well, getting art, art packs out to vulnerable people. What an amazing job they've done, in, in, you know, as a fairly new organisation, actually, but they've mm. really stepped up. The Hive have just come into their own and been phenomenal throughout supporting people. That's been just brilliant to see. Seeing all the councillors from different parties getting involved 
in that community effort. You know, I've, uh, I've had quite a lot of communications with uh, councillors in, in all the different groups about what they've been doing out in their local communities, showing that we can put differences to one side when it really matters uh, and work, work together for the benefit of Portsmouth. And, you know, our Lord Mayor adapting to strange times when <laughs> normally Lord Mayors uh, have to attend lots of formal stuff, but uh, Rob Wood's been out there uh, doing great, great stuff with his uh, Lady Mayoress Debbie. So I think there's been some some huge positives. And if the, the one takeaway for for me is, you know, I said to uh, the guys from the Notorious Aquind project when they when I first met them, uh, I said, don't do to the people of Portsmouth, do with them, or otherwise you're going to have a real battle on your hands. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> we know that this community can be really strong and pulled together when it needs to be, and it has. And it's one of the reasons why, although our rates are going up now, as everyone else is, uh, is that was from a very low point where the, the city had been the largest, the safest large city in the entire country mm. uh, going into September. Uh, and that's no mean feat, and that's because our community supported each other. So that's something that really you know, warms the heart, and uh, long may that continue. Listen, Steve, it's always an honour to talk to you. Thank you so much indeed. Um, if people you know, want to find out more about Portsmouth City Council and, and the way that it's going to happen, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow, if, if it goes ahead yet, because obviously the MPs are voting today <laughs> if, they, if they can sober up. Um, what, what's your message, Steve? How can people get hold of the Portsmouth City Council? <laughs> Okay, so we're planning to get information out to every household just to let you know what support is out there. That's what we did in lockdown one. We're planning to do it again this time around. Just bear with us because we've got to do that very quickly now. Um, Do check the Portsmouth City Council website. There's coronavirus links on there. All the pages are being updated. And once Parliament does vote on that today, we're ready to go live by by midnight with all the updated guidance and information. That will be there. Remember that the Hive is there for support as well. Um, So there'll be signposting to that in the leaflets that we send out and on the Portsmouth City Council website. We've stood back up our coronavirus helpline, ready to go for tomorrow to give people help and advice. And the business helpline that supported so many local businesses during the first lockdown, that's already up and running again and opens from 7am to 7pm with expert advice on the end of the line to signpost you to any support and help that's available. And if you can't get through any of those, all you've got to do is contact your local councillors. All our contact details are on the website. All 42 of us are there and ready to help. I've just got a message in from Mark. It says, uh, can you please pass on uh, my, my, my thanks to Steve and everybody at the council for being adaptive and really responsive uh, in this pandemic? There you go, Steve. People do That's listen brilliant. to you, mate. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> All the best to you, Steve. We'll catch up with you very soon. Stay safe, my friend. Take care, Darren. Bye-bye, mate. Thank you. Bye. That is Darren Gamblin's chat from earlier this week with Deputy Leader of Portsmouth City Council, Steve Pitt. Might have mentioned morning and stuff in there, but it's most definitely Sunday evening right now or any time on the planet. Uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, it's good to have you with us. The coronavirus special, bringing you all the information you need from the week just gone by. Next week on the show, we will chat to the leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, his approach to lockdown when he found out and what exactly uh, is happening regarding services for vulnerable people uh, and how exactly they are approaching keeping ports of people safe. So make sure you tune into the coronavirus special next week. And if you are listening to this podcast, hop back onto the website and make sure you click that little subscribe button and make sure that you get this to your phone or, or your device or whatever you're using at the same time next week. Now, on the way, we will be chatting to Jeff Priestley from the Wedge of Dreams. Uh, they were just planning to relaunch. That's, of course, not happening as we head into lockdown. We'll get his thoughts on the show next. 
Express Breakfast. Wake me up. With Bisco Solicitors. Local, experienced, reliable. Heading into lockdown two, we want to use our experience and avoid the things from lockdown one that we didn't enjoy. Fowler says queuing for milk at the corner shop. Always a queue, don't know why. Uh, Mark doesn't want to argue with his din mates about how COVID-19 isn't created from 5G towers. For me, I'm happy with the banana bread, not so happy with the Zoom quizzes. Express Breakfast. With Mason Jordan. Local radio for Portsmouth. This is Express FM. This is the coronavirus special. Thank you very much for having us on. It's good to have you with us on a very daunting time. Heading into lockdown number two, there's a certain feel about this lockdown. It doesn't feel the same as last time. I can't really pinpoint on why that is. So if you if you know, if you've had a little sense, a little gauge, and think you know what is different this time, then do get in touch with the show. You can tweet us at ExpressFM on Facebook as well. Uh, you can find us there, and you can email us, studio at expressfm.com. Uh, it's a very, very daunting time, very, very uh, weary time out there. I know people... Uh, like relatives personally that are a bit scared and yeah, especially lonely as well which is a, a big thing at the moment so uh, if you are needing help or you are anxious or stressed we have a new webpage for that expressfm.com forward slash wellbeing ports if there's tips there and useful links and there's also on our website at the moment uh, some information about businesses that are adapting to survive throughout this coronavirus pandemic we'll talk more about that in a second first though i want to go back to uh, my interview with uh, jeff Priestley from the wedge rooms he joined me on ports of breakfast earlier this week uh, to chat about um uh, chat about how they are surviving now the entertainment industry has taken a massive hit. It was pretty much on the brink of collapse. Uh, for, for many, they're out of jobs. Uh, it must be a really nerve-wracking time for you, Jeff. Um, it is. Um, weirdly, not uh, this time round, not as much for us because um, we were obviously in receipt of some funding from the government off the back of the last lockdown. So um, I, have, I have money that will cushion us through it, unlike the start of lockdown one now that 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 uh support you did get uh it, ca- it came after a long time but must have been must have been great um when it when it finally came through uh yes it was uh and uh it's fair to say that we wouldn't have got that if we hadn't got the support of our local community earlier so uh who helped quite a lot with uh donating to our crowdfunder so with the support of our local community uh, and this grant from government i'm in what is possibly an enviable position where uh the wedge of dreams is actually okay and we'll get through this next series of whatever's coming i think um however i do have uh some of my staff who work freelance that, uh, that are not actually in the same boat you mentioned there, uh, obviously, it, it's nice to be in good footing. It's nice to be in that envious position. Uh, the music industry as a whole it, it isn't looking too fabulous right now. Uh, and you had some exciting plans to, to relaunch, and unfortunately they're off the cards at the moment. Yeah, that's correct. We, um, we'd actually, like I say, part of our bid was to, to enable us to do um, lockdown, lockdown gigs with a quite dramatically reduced capacity. Uh, and we got a, we reinstated our comedy club starting in two weeks, I think. Uh, and then we had a series of, um, of Americana shows and some tribute shows booked in just to, uh, get us up and moving and, uh, get some musicians back to work. But unfortunately, uh, 
Uh, they went on sale last week. Most of them, to be fair, had nearly sold out. And uh, then we had the announcement last week, which means that I've, we've had to cancel them all. Has it been a logistical nightmare thinking what you've got to cancel, what's going to be postponed? Uh, how have you managed to get through it so far? Well, the, the problem we have is we're still dealing with the logistical nightmare of last time. We are just beginning to announce uh, some reschedules of shows from way back last March. And in some cases, this is the second or third rescheduled date. So that becomes a nightmare because uh, what's happening now is that things are getting pushed further and further back into 2021. Uh, but we've got all those shows that we've had to reschedule, plus there are people planning things for the end of 21. So again, envy of the position, we're, we're trying to get a quart into a pint pot, which uh, logistically is, is quite hard work. Uh, and if we look at you know other venues across the city, uh, there, there are some that have, have received funding, just like yourself. Uh, some that haven't. Uh, are you optimistic about the future of the entertainment industry across the city? Uh, yes, generally. I mean, I think the fact that uh, of the four, I think there were four venues that applied for additional funding in the city. Three of them got it, and I think that's the. Uh, I think it's the most amount of money that's been given to the city. Uh, so I think there's some support from outside for the city's culture, but also it sort of guarantees inside the city, the city's culture. I mean, our our job now really is to hang in here uh, and do what we do when we can. And I'm not, I'm not going to ask you for information about when things are going to open again, because that's very much <laughs> going to be a play-by-ear situation. But are you hoping to get sort of back up and running um, in the new year, maybe? Is that a target you've set yourself? Uh, well, we've still got um, shows uh, in the diary and on sale for December. Uh, obviously, from here on in, probably till, uh, I mean, even the government are mentioning uh, March time, everything is a little uncertain. But if there's a window of opportunity for us to reopen, we will take it. And I've, I've seen you've had a bit of new flooring put down in the Word of Dreams as well. Uh, yes. Um, it's one of those jobs that needs doing. Uh, and I took out one of the government bounce-back loans to... Um, because the floor needed doing, it's been needed doing some time. Uh, and while we've been shut, it's been the best time to do it. Uh, and as it turned out, it started out as a one-week job, but uh, there were a lot of complications, which involved us actually taking up not just the flooring, but the floor underneath it. Uh, so it then turned into a three-week job. So uh, if we'd tried to do that while we were open, uh, it would have been chaos. But a newly renovated wedge rooms, uh, ready and waiting whenever you can, yeah? Yeah, newly renovated, new floor, freshly painted, cleaned within an inch of its life, <laughs> uh, and sat and ready and raring to go. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, if people want to find out more about uh, everything that's going on, if you have any crowdfundings coming up or information about tickets and stuff, where, where can they get all that st- information? All our information is on our website, which is www.wedgewood-rooms.co.uk. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jeff. All right. Cheers. 
That is Jeff Priestley. Joined me on Express Breakfast earlier this week. This is the coronavirus special, bringing you all the information that you need about the uh, surrounding areas, whether it be Portsmouth, just a little bit afar. If you are someone that has something to say about coronavirus, about this second lockdown, maybe you're a business that's adapting, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you are adapting the way that you are providing your services. So maybe you are a, a, a cafe that's now providing uh, now providing takeaway or a delivery service. Maybe uh, you are a, a, a physical shop that's now uh, going a little bit online to help boost your sales. Uh, maybe you found it really effective. Maybe you haven't. Uh, please do get in touch. It'll be great to hear from you. Studio at expressfm.com. Now, it, it is a very weird time, uh, but if you are one of those businesses, uh, we can help you out a little bit. We're not going to... Uh, <laughs> we're not we can't fix anything for you but we can tell the people of Portsmouth what you are doing so please do get in touch there is a website uh, we have created called uh, Wellbeing Portsmouth expressfm.com forward slash Wellbeing Portsmouth is the place to go uh, there uh, there is information if you are stressed if you're anxious if you're struggling with mental health uh, maybe you're struggling to think of things to do throughout lockdown all the information you need expressfm.com forward slash Wellbeing Portsmouth and also there you can tell us exactly how you are adapting if you are one of those businesses that is doing things slightly differently then there is a webpage there if you are just listening and thinking oh I wonder if my favourite coffee shop is doing a takeaway I wonder if my favourite sandwich bar is or my record, the record store I go to every Saturday whatever it is uh, we will update it and put it there so please do send us all the information you have all of the uh, venues and stuff that you that are doing stuff that you think we should know about maybe there's online events uh, you can add them to the website as well and of course we'll give you a massive shout out on the radio thank you for listening to the coronavirus special we'll be talking next week to to uh, Jack Edwards, who is from the King's Theatre Pompey Panto. He caught up with James Percy, who is also in the <laughs> Pompey Panto this year, uh, currently doing our drive show. Uh, they had a little uh, catch-up earlier last week. We'll also hear from the leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. Uh, now, I spoke to him on Friday. We'll hear exactly what he had to say in next week's coronavirus special. And if you have any questions for any experts, maybe it'll be a doctor or, 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 or the leader of the City Council... Uh, maybe some teachers, whoever it may be. If you have questions, post them to us and we'll ask them for you. Uh, it's at ExpressFM on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook or email studio at expressfm.com. Thank you very much for joining me on the coronavirus special. Make sure to check back next week.